0: Hello, everyone. This is Chad. And I just wanted to let you know, this is a bonus episode of Pro Pals. We will be talking about the Kenneth Branagh film, A Haunting in Venice. And just so you know, there are spoilers and spoilers. And then there's some more spoilers. And then there's a little bit of time where there's not a spoiler, but then there's more spoilers after that. And then the rest of the podcast, maybe the last half an hour, is what I would call spoiler heavy. So if you haven't seen the film yet and you don't want to encounter those spoilers, listen to this podcast after you watch the movie. Okay, we are going to throw it to Caitlin, who has a summary of the plot of the film, A Haunting in Venice. Hello, everyone. This is
1: Caitlin. For those of you who are not planning to watch the movie and you just want to hang out, Or, if you need a refresher, it's been so long since you've seen the movie, uh, here's a quick summary of Kenneth Branagh's Haunting in Venice. The film begins with a recently retired Poirot, played by Kenneth Branagh, residing in Venice just after World War II. His fame follows him, though. He can't escape it, and a throng of would-be clients line up at his doorstep each day. He takes extreme measures to ignore them. This is until his friend Ariadne Oliver, played by Tina Fey, weasels into his home. In this version of the story, Ariadne Oliver is an American crime writer who bases her novels off of Poirot's famous mysteries. Ariadne convinces Poirot to accompany her to a children's Halloween party hosted by Rowena Drake, an opera star down on her luck who lives in a very creepy house rumored to be haunted by a group of children left in the basement to die by their doctors and nurses who abandoned them. The draw for Ariadne Oliver and Poirot is a seance scheduled to happen after the party. This is hosted by the infamously difficult to debunk medium Joyce Reynolds, played by Michelle Yeoh. The group hopes to make contact with Rowena Drake's recently deceased daughter, who fell into the canal from her bedroom window and drowned. During the seance, Joyce claims that Rowena Drake's daughter has been murdered. Not too long after, as Poirot wears Joyce's costume, an unseen figure attempts to drown him in a bobbing-for-apples basin. After the foiled attempt, Joyce is found impaled on a statue. Now, with a murder committed, Poirot locks the seance attendants in the house and doesn't let them out until he has solved the crime. As the night progresses, increasingly spooky things start happening to Poirot, forcing him and the audience to question what is real, supernatural, or both. Then, after a series of events, we learn that Ariadne Oliver has set up Poirot through an elaborate ruse to fool him and publicly humiliate him by writing an account of how he was duped by a false medium. In the end, though, we learn that Rowena Drake hoping to keep her daughter from marrying an angsty chef named Maxime Girard, dosed her daughter with hallucinogenic honey. This honey was accidentally overadministered by her attending nurse, Olga Semenov, accidentally killing her. Rowena Drake staged her daughter's death as an accidental drowning by throwing her off the balcony. We also learn that this same hallucinogenic honey is a thing that's been making Poirot see such spooky visions. The only child in the plot, luckily left alive, Leopold Ferrier, guessed that Rowena Drake caused her daughter's death and has been blackmailing her to support his father, Dr. Ferrier, who was immobilized with PTSD from World War II. Soon after the crime is revealed, Rowena Drake falls into the canal or is pulled into the watery depths by her daughter's ghost, depending on how you decide to interpret it. And in the end, Poirot is reinvigorated by the experience and restarts his consulting practice. And that's it. Back to you, Chad.
0: Oh, that was amazing. Thank you, Caitlin. Let's do something a little different here for this bonus episode. And let's play some audio from great friend of the podcast and the Perot Pals official video game correspondent, Jessica Lohafer, as she took the time to record some audio for us just before she went in to see the film, A Haunting in Venice. Chad, Caitlin, I'm reporting to you live outside of Theater
2: 5, where I'm about to watch A Haunting of Venice. Now, my voice is quiet because you have to keep your voice down in a theater, I've learned. A couple of just quick hot takes before I go in. Number one, real spooked. Real spooked indeed. Caitlin is going to hold my hand, and I do have two kinds of snacks. Um, I'm expecting intrigue, I'm expecting laughs, and I'm expecting to be impressed with Cina Fey. More later, goodbye. (music) ¶¶
1: This is a bonus episode. Welcome. We just saw Haunting in Venice, which Kenneth Branagh says is based on a Halloween party, which uh, we've just gone over together in our uh, previous two episodes. So here, here we are, and we are going to just have a little, it's a little casual chat about our thoughts.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I have a quick question, Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Did we see the movie in the same theater?
1: That's a really good question, but I'm also concerned that you asked that. We did not.
0: (laughs) No, we did not. Uh, You were, where were you?
1: Okay, yeah, let me set the scene. I was actually with one of our mutual friends and one of our co-podcasters, Jessica Lohafer. Um, I'm in Seattle right now. We kind of met in the middle because she lives a little further away. And my parents were also there, which was kind of fun. They had no context and were just like, we're here. And the fact that the theater was so empty, you could hear all the electronic sounds of like the signs, the refrigeration, everything kind of shows how excited the world was for Haunting in Venice on opening night.
0: (laughs) So it was opening night. What time was Uh it?
1: You're asking really important questions. We went at 9.30 or 9. Um, so we we went a little later, but it was a Friday night. But yeah, pretty deserted.
0: I went on Friday at 1.30 in the afternoon because, as you know about me, Caitlin, I am an extremely cheap person. <laughs> and I was like <laughs> 25% off ticket. This is amazing. And so I went to the local, uh, the nearest AMC theater. It turns out that, well, September is my birthday month. And so Mm. on my little AMC app, I had a free large popcorn with butter. And it's the best. Could not have been more excited. So I walked into the theater, and I'm going to say when the movie started, there was probably between 15 and 20 people. That's quite a showing for a
1: matinee on a Friday.
0: And also, I believe, unless I am wrong about this, I believe that after the film had finished, uh, you and Jessica, is it true that you recorded something about the film?
1: Yes, we recorded our hot takes reactions to it at about 1130 in an empty parking lot in the middle of Alderwood Mall. We had just seen Beyonce the night before. And so actually we had shared between us about Seven to eight hours of sleep.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's the energy. That's what we're working with. (laughs) So we thought we'd share it with you. So here it is. Hello. Hello. We're reporting live from (sighs) post Poirot. Post Poirot. We have a lot of feelings. Okay. This is Kaylin.
2: This is Jessica.
1: Okay. We're in the parking lot outside of the Linwood amc things are getting wild okay i think we need to preface it with there were five people in the movie theater besides us and 15 minutes before the movie ended we lost one person we We just just left he (laughs) was
2: done he said i understand the mystery i don't need the history and i'll see you later and he was he exited quietly what i yeah it was very respectful but i was like are you coming are you coming back and he didn't. He was not. Just like a couple hot takes because I know you okay. and Chad are going go to go into something really mold, like seriously Lord. and mold. But here's uh-huh. here's just, here's a couple top, a top of that mind. Okay. Some would say from mm-hmm. Jessica Haver. Number one, way less spooky spooky than I thought. I only screamed like an injured animal once. Mm-hmm. That was pretty good. Your mm. hood was a, like at eyebrow level. Yes. So you are ready to pull it down. I stayed vigilant i liked it but i i feel like you're coming in with a slightly different no feel. I, What's the I don't know okay
1: here's the thing is sometimes and i think you know this about me i have to not like something first I get it, <laughs> and get i can it. be convinced otherwise so you were like oh my god it was great and you turned to me you're like how do you feel and i was like i don't know yet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i was very serious about it yeah. uh Really glad he stuck with all the names. Very mm-hmm. interesting takes on the people. I'm glad no children died. I told Jessica, I was like, I was just waiting for so many children to die.
2: Big plus. That they, they all didn't. came
1: out. Except for like, okay, we had we had like a, a youth, a young adult die. Tina Fey, underused, I would say. I think maybe I'm like a little scorched with like the way Ariadne Oliver turned out, but that's mm. okay. Mm. I still don't think we have the answer as to why Kenneth Branagh is making any of these movies. Mm. But I do like the more tortured Poro. That's great. I think he's like doing cool things with it. Mm. So many angles of the camera. Right. I don't know if we needed that many. A lot of slanted. A lot of slanted. A lot of. I really. I felt like I felt jaunty. It felt like we got the message in like minute fifteen. We got it, and then it was just like, but what if we kept turning the camera around?
2: Listen, I know you've seen him walk. Kind of diagonally. But have you seen him walk on the ceiling? Because we I can do that
1: for you. We yeah. can do that for mm-hmm. you right now. I'll mm-hmm. tell the, the audience and Chad what I told you, which is my feelings about Kenneth Branagh. He makes a lot of remakes of famous things starring himself. You know? <laughs> and it takes a special kind of person to have that confidence. Mm-hmm. But the thing that makes me mad is that he's usually pretty good at it. God damn it. Like, I love his Poirot. I, I really think he does a good Poirot. Uh. I have a complicated relationship with Kenneth Branagh. And I mean, we're working through it together. Sure, sure. You're talking mm-hmm. it out. I love this movie. You are
2: thinking about this I'm movie. I'm considering my feelings it's, about it. This movie is in consideration of but- Caitlin's consideration. <laughs> like for an Oscar, but like you just get to be considered I'm by just, Caitlin. Like, that's actually the
1: award. That's actually <laughs> the award. Um, yeah, I think that's our message. Jessica and Caitlin, out. Chad, I want to start with you. I want to hear first impressions. Where are you with this movie?
0: Without giving away exactly how I felt about the film, it is my favorite of the Branagh Puros. Caitlin, wh- what are your initial thoughts about a haunting in Venice?
1: Earlier today, I think I told you I'm going to be the wet blanket on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I feel mixed. I just don't know where I land in terms of which of the Branna ones I think I enjoyed the best. I think that there are some things that I enjoyed about it that uh, we'll kind of go into detail about all of them. And then there are some things that I thought were like either missed opportunities or just for me, I was a more critical audience member. (laughs) So I think we have a bit of good cop, bad cop today or good audience, bad audience.
0: (laughs) Or maybe good film, bad film.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's really where we landed. The big question that we were asking as we were reading the book was how is this adaptation going to happen? Do you think this movie can be justifiably categorized as based on or called based on Halloween Party? Where are you landing with that?
0: Uh, Okay, yeah. So the end of the movie, we find out that Leopold, Rowena Drake's son... No, no. Is it?
1: Leopold is Dr. Ferrier.
0: Yes, Dr. Ferrier's son in the movie. (laughs) So Leopold, Dr. Ferrier's son, is actually a good kid. And it turns out that we find out at the end, just like in the book, that he was bribing the person that he knew committed the murder. But it's a much more innocent sort of thing. And he was doing Mm -hmm. it to help his father out. And then at the end, it turns into this lovely gesture. That to me was when I was like, okay, I buy it now. That's close enough. That's close enough for Chad. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So what did you, what did you think, Caitlin?
1: I was really interested in how they named this cast of characters after all of the main characters in the book. But of course they were adults and playing really different roles. Like Dr. Ferrier had way more of a point Olga was completely different. Um, You know, Joyce is an adult. And so at first I was kind of like, are we just playing let's name people game? You know, like, Mm -hmm. like, are we just like taking the names and then doing something really different? And, you know, we did have the murder as a drowning, but a different kind of drowning. I think it justifies saying it's based on it. I don't know if it's justified saying it's adapted does that make sense? Like, yeah. like I think when you adapt something, it sounds like it's, you're like, I'm going to translate this into a film. And I feel like we can justify a based on. So he's like pulling out certain threads and themes and character names, but also like, yeah, yeah. Like Leopold is a blackmailer, but in a different way. Joyce saw the murder, but in a different way. Yeah. You're just kind of pulling out these little parts and like the motif of apples, played a really different role, I thought, but there is a motif of apples. So yeah, like I I think you can say that they're part of the same family, but I wouldn't say they are copies of each other in any way.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great way of saying it. I just realized this during this conversation that one of the reasons I liked the movie was because of how much nicer it was to the children.
1: Okay, yes, this movie is kind to children. Like, I think I walked out of the theater and I was like, wow, I was really expecting a lot of kids to die. And Jessica was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, I'm really surprised. No chill. Like all the children made it out. It's so forgiving and tender towards children. And the moment that Poirot has with Leopold, I think, is one of my favorite moments and it's so tender Yeah, Um and he it's almost like he's talking to this little version of himself he gets yes. a like little reparenting Poirot moment <laughs> to use like therapy speak that was very cool that he like sees a kernel of himself in this little boy who's like way too smart for the world that was so much better than having this shitty little kid <laughs> Chad so what do you think of Kenneth Branagh as Poirot in general like what do you think of his Poirot compared to others he
0: is growing on me. David Suchet is my favorite Poirot. They did such an excellent job of just taking the book description and being like...
1: Let's find a person who fits that.
0: <laughs> exactly. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful characterization. So it took me a little while to get into up You said something in that recording with you and Jessica mm-hmm. that I am completely and totally on board with, which is that I have a very complex relationship with Kenneth Branagh I think his first huge movie that he directed was dead again which is this film noir thing with Robin Williams and he's Kenneth Branagh's in it too I believe Emma Thompson I think I maybe I'm wrong about that but I think that was his first big hit and I was like that's cool and then he started to do movies and plays that already exist okay, so you're going to do some Shakespeare stuff now. That's totally cool. I gotcha. I gotcha. And I didn't really follow him that much. I like him as an actor. I think he's a really good director. But when he started these movies, I was really excited. And then maybe it was because of the, how Death on the Nile came out right around the pandemic and just kind of died. But then when I watched it, I kind of felt like it wasn't true to the character of Poirot. And this portrayal, was the best one I think he's done yet.
1: Yeah, I agree with you in like capturing the his idiosyncrasies and things like that. I thought the way they did his garden was spot on. Like I loved the little booties. I loved, I almost wanted more of that. I liked a lot of what the movie was doing, but I, I wanted different portions and proportions of everything.
0: I totally agree with you on that. Yes.
1: I wanted us to kind of know all the fussy Poirot and like even establish it more before the plot really kicks into gear, because then I think the whole like Poirot having issues thing would be a little bit more earned. Literally, there's a lot of exposition where Tina Fey's like, "This is so unlike you," <laughs> and it's like maybe do that in another way.
0: The beginning part and the in the very ending part where he yeah. restarts up his practice uh, was not earned. None of the stuff that Tina Fey was forced to say as Ariadne and <laughs> Andy Oliver mm-hmm. made sense in that context because I didn't believe for a second that Poirot was retired in Venice.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: And and I will say I really like the movie. But another major quibble for me was that when does this take place in the Branna Poirot verse? Because yeah. in Death on the Nile or I think also murder on the murder on the Oran Express, his mustache was much more gray. So mm. is this before those? Did yeah. he retire before? and then do are we but it was never cleared up enough. And I, I thought for a little while we might see like the him using the hair dye, but we didn't see that at all. So it this was not an old Pero to me. So it didn't make sense in that way.
1: I totally get that and actually it is kind of cool like we're coming up to Roger Ackroyd where Poirot does try to retire and -hmm. then he gets like drawn back in and so I thought maybe they were mirroring that because especially he tries to retire and he's like growing all these vegetables and then he hates growing vegetables and then a murder (laughs) falls into his lap and he's so excited there was a lot of blending of other Poirot's like they had that great quote from Styles about how every murderer is most likely is probably someone's best friend or old friend. And so that was cool. But I was kind of like, oh, we're having to draw from a lot of other books to make this movie happen. And I do want to say just about the setting of Venice. For a retirement place for Poirot, he would get nowhere near Venice. To be in a city that's falling apart and flooding, what would happen to his patent leather shoes?
0: So we did not get your opinion of Branagh's Perot. I just totally blew past it. So I apologize. Yes.
1: No, you're totally fine. I do like the fact that Kenneth Branagh is like, he is a war veteran in one of the most terrifying, awful wars to be in. All these people around him are also massively traumatized. And he, he actually addresses that. And so it's one of those things where it's like, well, this is what you and I have kind of been talking about is how like, the books kind of blaze on through that. So he is adding something new to Poirot that you and I have been like, kind of not craving, but just curious about and definitely noting my big question. And I still think I have it to a degree, but like my big essential question with those movies are like, what are we getting from this? Why are we making these movies? What is this contributing to now? Like, how are we seeing Poirot, in a new light that is relevant. I don't mean it has to, like, engage with, like, the politics and culture of the time, but give us something to care about and something yeah. that we haven't seen before because we could just watch Masterpiece Theater.
0: What did you think of Tina Fey as Ariadne Oliver?
1: Oof. I feel like she was really underused and really contained, and it kind of took away, for me, that, like, spirit of Ariadne Oliver, that particularly resonates with me that I think I talked about in our previous episodes about the book. Like the thing I love about her and her like superpower is that she is so chaotic and scattered and all over the place. And she's brilliant and smart. And also for like Tina Faye to play like a straight man almost was so weird. <laughs> what did you think?
0: I think Tina Fey did a really good job with what she was given. To me, I enjoyed, and I know we're going to disagree about this, as much as I wanted the next movie to be another pairing of the two of them, Mm -hmm. I was kind of into Perot solving the other crime or the duplicity. He just... Was like, oh, of course, and by the way, I know that you, my bodyguard, and the seance person are working to get it together all for different reasons, right? And and that I really like that, and I thought that Tina Fey had created a character that I believed would do that. I don't think that that would have happened had it been true to the character in the book.
1: I think this movie may have functioned really differently if you hadn't read the books, or at least the ones with that character. Mm. And I think it would have fit a lot more. And so I think me, I'm kind of like clinging to my idea of her, which doesn't fit in with the plot that he's crafting. So again, that's where it's like, well, okay, maybe if she were a character that like had a different name, it could still work really well, you know? Yeah, Maybe because there's this like whole history, the ghost of Ariadne Oliver of the books is there. That's where like my disappointment was. But maybe as a film itself, that doesn't matter. I just want to remake this movie, but have Tina Fey get to be bigger in all senses of the word.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, Caitlin, mm-hmm. you and I have been friends for a while, but I just want to say this right now. I think we're entering a portion of the film now Uh-oh. where we're going to really disagree.
1: Is this a first for us? Are we going to have to, like, get a mediator?
0: I believe we may. And it can't be Jessica, because she'll take your side every single time.
1: Yeah, and she'll be mean to you about it, too. Oh,
0: yes, of course <laughs> she will. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And deservedly so.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so I think other than... All of those things that I would put into Chad's quibbles, Chad's quibble corner, Chad's quibble corner, because Chad's quibble <laughs> sounds like a terrible dog food. <laughs> yeah. Chad's quibble corner. So we know what's in there. We have like, why is this movie made? Why would they choose <laughs> to make the, you know, the Tina Fey character this way when people who are coming to see it? likely know the character from the books. Uh, What exactly is happening with him being retired? You don't buy it for a second. Why is he younger than he seemed to be in the other movies, but he's retired? All of these other things. I literally loved every other part of this movie. It gave me exactly what I wanted, and I know that you and Jessica were ripping on the angles. (laughs) There was a scene, Caitlin, where... phone rings oh yeah yeah, yeah. and the bodyguard slash ex-police officer opens up this kind of hidden door and answers the phone on the screen to his right is Perot and then to Perot's right I believe are the two kids who are I at that point in time I think potentially tied up and (laughs) that shot I was like, I want a poster of that on my face. That shot was so perfectly composed and so freaking beautiful. And I understand this, I'm old and I'm I'm very not hip. But I needed the shot inversing itself so he's walking in the ceiling to let me know that he had been drugged.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. But it was it was so
0: obvious. Just I know, but I was like, wait, what's happening? And I thought that maybe he got drugged when he got pushed down in the me apple too. bobbing bucket. I thought, and I thought that was great that she was like, why don't you mm-hmm. wear this? Try it out for a second. Try to be me. Yeah. And then I loved when he's pulled out of the bucket and he immediately knows that it's not him who was the intended victim.
1: Yeah. He's like, why would anybody want to murder me? <laughs> right.
0: I thought that was totally amazing. And he's just like, where is she? Where is Joyce Reynolds? Um, also, here's something that just, Made me laugh and also just go, Kenny B, you are my friend. And that was the Uh bucket for the apples was clear, which you need in a film. And I was like, how in what world does anyone ever bob for apples in a clear clear. bucket? Uh And it was so great. I was like, I love you. This is amazing. (laughs) I love this film. I'm on to you, my man. And I know that Jessica had some problems with the honey thing in the garden. For me, I fell for it 190%. I was like, (laughs) oh, my God, that's exactly right. I didn't even think it was the honey. Oh, Jesus. And of course, okay, 100%, another Chad's quibble corner. The motivation for Rowena, Rowena to kill her daughter does not hold up in any way, shape, or form. Oh, Yeah nonsense. Total nonsense. That said, I just blew past it because when Poirot saw the daughter, the per- potential ghost of the daughter, killing Rowena, I was like, this is amazing because the kid, unlike in the book, is getting revenge.
1: Yeah. Okay. You are definitely persuading me there. I think there there is a lot of great things happening and I do think visually it was awesome I loved how unsettling he tried to make it and just how like so weird the house was it it felt very gothic but like over exaggerated over the top um here's Kaylin's quibble corner sometimes I felt like it was so exaggerated that it took me out of it a little bit and sometimes I like being kind of lured into something and it felt like it was really hitting me over the head that this is a creepy house i thought that the legend about the children in the hospital was so silly
0: that was totally absurd what should have happened is that after the puppet show when the kids were going crazy perot should have asked somebody about it about that legend and they should have been like oh that's total bullshit yeah, It's yeah, not yeah, real. Yeah. Exactly. That's totally not real. And then later on, it could maybe turn out to be real. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe it's a little spooky. But the fact that they were trying to make it seem like the adults were on the same page as the children was like a little insulting.
1: Yeah, it felt like the adults were like kids at camp. Right. <laughs> and they're like, oh, the, the creature in the lake or whatever. And it could have just been dialed back a little bit. And everyone's backstory didn't matter. And actually, it was kind of cool because talking to Jessica, I was like, oh, it's interesting what they did with Olga. I'm glad that Olga has a better life (laughs) than our tragic Olga. But they, they take up a lot of time for how much they're really worth to the story. Especially the kids, the Hungarian kids who wanted to go to St. Louis. I also felt like the one injustice was no adult was like, do you really want to go to St. Louis out of all your options? No one just pulled them aside and was like, please rethink. I mean, nothing against St. Louis, but of all the places you could go in the world. I was like, really?
0: I agree with you. And the reason that it was in there, it's because one of those things that just apparently has to be in about 90% of films since the mid-60s is, aren't films great?
1: Oh, my God.
0: They're so influential that these two characters want to move to St. Louis, of all places, from, a, from Venice. They want to move from Venice to St. Louis. <laughs> but that's the power of movies, and that, I think that's what that is, and it is annoying.
1: Okay, yeah. And it was kind of, it's kind of like a reprise of the very obnoxious Nicole Kidman thing. Every time I watch that, I'm like, I think I hate movies now.
0: When was the last time Nicole Kidman was in a movie theater?
1: She's never set foot in one. <laughs> she watches movies from like an infinity pool in Bali. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yep. That's, well, there's the t shirt.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now it looks like Chad's Quibble Corner is getting a little larger here. Mm hmm. Maybe it's a quibble mansion? <laughs> Let's say a quibble ballroom. Okay. It's a lot of dancing by ghosts late at night. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, you kind of changed my mind about this a little bit. Oh, no. i making the world a darker, more
1: cynical place.
0: I really loved the Michelle Yeoh character, but her name is Joyce Reynolds, and that's the name of the girl that gets killed in the book. And so she gets killed in the movie... And Rowena Drake is the guilty party So, because she also kills her daughter. You can't really do that. You can do that in Death of the Nile and you can do that in Murder on the Orient Orient Express because those are famous double crosses and you kind of got to stick with it, right? Yeah. But this movie, no one has read this freaking book, comparatively Mm -hmm. speaking to those two. And Mm -hmm. so you can't then penalize the people seeing the movie because I'm like, oh, I know it's Rowena. There's no way it's not Rowena.
1: Like as soon as she was introduced. Right,
0: exactly. Yeah. I don't know what the appeal is for folks who didn't read the book. And I don't know what the appeal is for folks who did.
1: And I think that's really what Kenneth Branagh's project should be if he's moving forward with this series is just to like have the movies justify themselves a little bit. And also, you're right, like it needs to be interesting and new for the people who know the story and also needs to be interesting and new for the people who don't. As we're talking, the more I think about all the side characters too, like, why did her fiance have to be a selfish chef? There's just so much like work around that we had to do to justify all these people being there. And we haven't really gotten into too how like, there's that added dynamic of Ariadne Oliver needing Poirot because she's basing her books on him. And It's a little difference, but I think it's important. Yes, in this movie and in the books, she's a stand-in for Agatha Christie, for sure. Mm -hmm. But she derives her fame from her own creativity in the books. And she just happens to be writing a character that's like Poro, but in no way is she ever like, I need you for materials. And it's kind of cool because even we got that part in the book where she's like, I never want to meet one of my characters. Here's my process. Yeah. And so like, she's just so, she's just such a fountain of ideas. What kind of writer would need to orchestrate a complex seance, getting many people involved to get one story idea? That is a very desperate, unimaginative writer. It's just like, that was a bit unbelievable. And that was where I felt like the plot was almost tying itself in knots to be true to the book and make sense.
0: Does everyone know that her detective is based on Poirot? Because this would be a nonfiction book. The book that she's working on would be literally from true events.
1: It sounded like she was fictionalizing his greatest cases, right? Almost like a wa- no, because Watson with Holmes, he's relaying the truth. He's not. He's not saying these are stories. So she's yeah, she's saying like this is my fiction crime story
0: right like the big selling point is what that perot is back or perot is yeah. outmatched and can't she just make that up in her head
1: what you're saying makes so much sense and i'm sorry it took me doing a little explanation to you that you didn't need to understand what you were saying um, <laughs> but i don't know i feel like this movie you just start pulling at the threads a little bit and
0: it just starts kind of coming undone A lot of quibbles, quibble ballroom now might be, might be coming a quibble floor. Okay. But that said, give me holiday Perot. Oh God. Yes. Give me any British holiday Perot. Give me anything that has to do with Perot on a winter or fall holiday. That's what I would love. Like give me Perot at Christmas in two years. That would be amazing.
1: Okay. This is what I wonder too. As smart as Poirot is, he's also a little silly. And I felt at times that even though there were funny moments, the movie was taking itself a little too seriously. And I want him to just be a little fussier. Give me a little bit more of the goofy brilliance that is Poirot. It's so hard to make an adaptation that makes anyone happy, which is why, like, you know, when Kenneth Branagh does anything, I'm always like, eh. But I'm still glad he's doing it.
0: I agree with that. And I think that what I appreciate most about this movie, now that we've talked about it, is that Branagh finally got to direct a Perot film in a setting where he could take advantage of his directorial skills. Because the train on Orient Express, that's just like, I mean, it's brilliantly shot, but you can't do much with it. And Death on the Nile, it's basically an apartment on the water that there's not a whole lot you can do with that either. This was like spooky corners, spooky background, cool sound effects, cool claustrophobic feeling. Sometimes it went overboard, but I appreciated that. I really love the setting and the tone of it. Given how claustrophobic 90% of the movie is, the shot that it ends on and what it is saying about him opening up, getting back into the world, the open air part made me gasp.
1: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: I have a a potentially unfair question to ask you.
1: That's totally fine.
0: Is this a better movie than the book was a book?
1: Oh, yes. I think the movie is a better movie than the book is a book. Uh, It has a clear sense of cohesiveness. No matter how we feel about being stuck in this house and how we feel about how it's directed and everything, it knows what it's doing on purpose, whether we like it or not. And I felt like the Halloween party was a bit adrift and not necessarily moving in the way a book should move. How do you feel?
0: There is a possibility that I am overrating this movie because of how much more economical it was in its storytelling than the book. So we read the book and then we saw the movie. I literally cannot imagine how frankly pissed off I would be if I saw this movie and was like, oh, I love that. I'm going to read the book. The book would frustrate me and make me so like, what is going on here? And I think I would be like, whoever adapted that screenplay is a genius.
1: The lovely Jessica Lohafer, who really, this this episode would not happen without her. Exactly. She is going to, she's about to go on that journey. And she's she knows, like, I've given her a lot of previews about how you and I feel. And she's like, I'm prepared for it. I want to do it anyways. So I'm very curious to hear her reaction to it.
0: Yes, me too. Well, I think that's it. That was awesome.
1: We are officially moving on from Halloween Party. (laughs) If Halloween Party, both the book and uh, Haunting of Venice, were like kind of a dark gothic, troubling area, we are about to go on a jaunt in France and also like go see an acrobatic show.
0: That is exactly what we're going to
1: do. (laughs) So we're doing Murder on the Links. I can't wait. We're going back to this very overly complicated, overly written second book. And I think it's because it's the second book.
0: Can we play a quick word association game, Caitlin? Uh, yeah. And I mean this strictly Mm title-wise. A haunting in Venice is to Halloween party as blank is to the murder on the links.
1: I don't know why the first thing that came to my head was like a cold glass of lemonade. (laughs) That's not even a movie or a book, but like whenever (laughs) I think about... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's an object <laughs>
0: i love that so much how about you oh i've already told you mine like two months ago but it's golf death because there's no golf no. but there is death right?
1: there is death so. um
0: because yeah, there's no venice but there is haunting
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay that's very true yeah, yeah yeah we're about to go on a little summer vacay
0: i've never been to france so excited
1: It's going to be fun. Okay, cool. Well, I will see you there, Chad. Bye.